1: With Richard Holdridge,
2: welcome once again to another episode of the Sports Beat with Richard Holdridge. Just a reminder that you are listening to us on WQEE 99.1 FM, the key out of Noonan, Georgia. Brought to you by Ivy Park Sports Bar Grill, Christie's Cafe, the Man in the Mirror Podcast, and a local grounds coffee company. We have got an amazing, jam packed show for you tonight. This is episode 501. I had my 500th episode live at Ivy on Tuesday night. It was aired here on this station on yesterday's show and it was just amazing radio and i hope that you enjoyed it it was a slow sports day as it was election night you know that is tough when i'm having to do a show and having to compete with all the election coverage yet the election coverage is still going on cuz we still don't have winners. We do have a runoff that's going to be December the 6th between the incumbent Raphael Warnock and former Heisman trophy and Georgia running back Herschel Walker. And so that is a very tight race. Brian Kemp wins as governor for the state of Georgia. Just I'm just very impressed with the voter turnout and I'm so glad that you were able to get out and vote. Because that is very important in this country. And I don't talk politics on this show, but I think it is important. And I know that sports takes a back seat on election night. And so I was very fortunate that I was actually broadcasting the show at Ivy. And uh, that show just broadcast yesterday on uh, this radio station. So I had a day off. And I actually do have a great show today as my broadcast partner and co-host Corey Bank will be on for the Daily Dash. And then I'm also going to have Gabe Reynolds, and we're going to talk about some of the things that happened over the weekend. Don't forget that tomorrow, Veterans Day, I'm going to have my high school football preview, review show, playoff edition, and I am so excited about my guest. He is the voice of GPB Sports in high school, Matt Stewart. He's also the play-by-play announcer for the College Park Skyhawks, and he does a lot of work with ESPN+. A lot of these local teams in Georgia, when they're televised on ESPN+, Matt Stewart is there calling the games. Uh, Such an amazing guy and just an amazing interview. And he did say something to me right after the interview. He said he was looking forward to coming back. I think that is amazing when I can get guest guests That enjoy being on the show that want to come back. And so the guests are going to continue to line up as we get ready into the holiday seasons. And I'm going to talk a little bit about the holidays and what it means. And, you know, with Veterans Day coming up tomorrow, and I have served over 20 years in the military, it really means a lot to me to be a veteran and to also be a sports fan. I've had some very incredible moments on Veterans Day. I was actually part of a flag detail for many Atlanta Falcons games about 10 years ago uh, when I was working in the, uh, the Marietta, Metro Atlanta area at Dobbins, and I got to be on the field for a Falcons game at, on Veterans Day. But we do have some sports to cover here on the show. The Falcons are taking on the Carolina Panthers tonight on Amazon Prime Video. The Atlanta Hawks just ran into a better team. There has not been a team in the NBA more surprising than the Utah Jazz. They are 10-3. and They're doing this without Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell. Incredible. And if you're a college basketball fan, we have a lot of local teams in action this week, including Georgia taking on Wake Forest this Friday night. Let's go ahead and get right into the show. Well, the Atlanta Falcons, after losing to the Los Angeles Chargers on Sunday, they have a short week, and they're taking on the Carolina Panthers up in Charlotte, for that Thursday night game. And they still control their own destiny. Because with a win against the Carolina Panthers. They will be in first place in the NFC South. And I think that they could get this win. Because they play the Panthers very well. But that game a couple of weeks ago at the Bins, They should have lost that game. Hopefully, they can regroup and make adjustments. They are favored by two and a half. This is actually going to be one of the picks that Corey and I are going to have on the Daily Dash later. So, I'm going to make a pick later on in the show. The big question for Carolina is who gets the start? Is it P.J. Walker or is it Baker Mayfield? Should be an interesting game. All right, so last night in the NBA, because we didn't have games on Election Day. Majority of the action in the NBA happened last night. The Atlanta Hawks drop a home contest to the Utah Jazz, 125-119. to 119. And Laurie Marketin, he is starting to become a superstar for the Jazz. He had a season-high 32 points. The Utah Jazz are 10-3. and three. How are they doing this without Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell? They're very well coached. The Utah Jazz have Mike Conley, they have Jordan Clarkson, and now Lori Marketin, who's going to be an all-star. Hawks are still a good team, and they take on the Philadelphia 76ers next. I like how DeJounte Murray has been a complimentary piece to Trey Young. And I love how DeAndre Hunter, although I wish he could be more consistent, he's getting his points as well. He had 22 points. I don't think the Hawks just have a big three. I think they could potentially have a big four and have a starting lineup that can average double figures every night because if you have Clint Capella in the mix, 15 points, 19 rebounds, the Hawks are going to be hard to stop. The problem is that on the defense, if they're facing a hot team, it doesn't matter if it's on the road or if it's at home. Utah was able to squeak this one out because – their players were just better under clutch. And I actually think that the Atlanta Hawks, with a couple of home games, they're 7-4. and four. They take on the 76ers tonight at State Farm Arena. They actually have to travel to Philly to take on the Sixers. Then they take on the Bucks and the Celtics. And if they are a legit contender in the Eastern Conference, they have got to win these games. Hey, the Brooklyn Nets have a new... Head coach, it's Jacques Vaughn. He replaces Steve Nash. They defeat the New York Knicks, 112-85. to The Grizzlies get a big win against the Spurs in overtime. And the Clippers defeat the Lakers. LeBron exits the game with an injury. LeBron did score 30. The Lakers are 2-9. And, and I just don't think the Lakers, especially with the age of LeBron and the brittleness of Anthony Davis, it doesn't matter what they do. The Lakers are the worst team in the NBA, and I think that they are going to the lottery. I'm sorry, Laker fans. Look, I know you're excited about the Lakers. I watched the documentary. I watched both documentaries. I watched the HBO Max winning time and I watched the documentary it was really centered on Genie Bus and I think that the Lakers got lucky in 2020. They caught lightning in a bottle. They won a title in a bubble. With a healthy LeBron and AD after having four months off. Other than that, the Lakers have been a disaster since 2013. I know this disappoints a lot of Laker fans, but this is a shooter's league. You should have went out and got a guy like Buddy Heald. You should have offered money to Klay Thompson. Get somebody that can 3-and-D on the perimeter, and they failed to do that. And now the writing is written on the wall for the Los Angeles Lakers. So on the show today, we're also going to have some college football picks. You know, if there is a safe bet, and I'm not a betting guy, I believe the Alabama Crimson Tide are going to destroy the Ole Miss Rebels. And I know that they play close games on the road. All the talk this week about Alabama is that the dynasty is over. That's getting in the head of these players. And there are some talented players in Alabama, including Will Anderson, Dallas Turner. I think Kool-Aid McKinstry is a good DB. Alabama's got some great players. I'm going to have Gabe Rills on the show. He's going to talk about the state of Alabama. and I know he's a big Alabama fan. I'd like to know from his opinion. I mean, they're not going to go to the college football playoff this year. You have to expect, if Alabama wants to represent the SEC in the West, they got to root for LSU to lose two games. So, LSU would have to lose to Arkansas, would have to lose to Texas A&M, and Alabama would have to beat Ole Miss, and then they would have to beat Auburn, which is easier for Alabama, but we'll see. All right, I think it is about that time to bring on my broadcast partner and co-host Corey Bank for the Daily Dash. You don't want to go anywhere. We'll be right back with Corey Bank. Welcome back to the show. And on the show today, I've got my broadcast partner and co-host, Corey Bank, for the Daily Dash. All right, we're going to go ahead and start things off with Alabama and Ole Miss. Alabama's favored by 12 on the road. I believe Alabama is going to win that game because... They never lose back-to-back games. Nick Saban's going to figure it out. I love the matchup between Nick Saban and Lane Kiffin. Ole Miss's run offense is one of the best in the country. Alabama figures it out. So I believe Alabama's going to win this game.
0: Very interesting prediction, Richard. So in this ball game, the Alabama Crimson Tide head into this matchup 7-2 on the year. In the last contest, this Crimson Tide team faced the LSU Tigers and took a loss by a score of 32-31. Bryce Young went 25-51 with 328 yards passing and a touchdown. He had a quarterback rating of 105.6, and he ended the game, Richard, with an interception. Jamar Gibbs was the leader on the ground for the Crimson Tide with 15 rushes for 99 yards, 6.6 yards per carry. Now this Alabama Crimson Tide, they carried the ball 30 times in the entire game, Richard for 137 yards, an excellent 4.6 yards on the ground. But the Alabama team relinquished 22 completions on 32 attempts for a total of 182 yards and a completion rate of 68.8%. But the Rebels step onto the field holding a record of 8-1. In their last contest, the Rebels got the win with the final score of 31-28 when they played the Texas A&M Aggies. Jackson Dart had three touchdowns in the game, and he finished the contest with 440 yards on 13 of 20 passing with a QB rating of 173.3. He didn't throw any picks, Richard, and that is why he is dynamic. But the thing is, they have a freshman running back who's been a stud all year long, and that is Quinchon Judkins, running the ball 34 times for 205 yards gashing up the defense in the last contest six yards per carry now this rebels team finished the contest with 530 yards of all yards in the battle of these two strong programs i'm gonna have to take the bounce back of this alabama crimson tide team
2: richard great pick Corey. now let's move on to tcu at texas you know, Texas is one of the best teams in the Big 12, but with Quinn Ewers does not play, they are a different team. TCU is ranked fourth in the college football playoff. I actually think that TCU is one of those sleeper teams in the college football playoff, but everybody is rooting for Texas, but if TCU beats Texas, they are out of the Big 12 uh, playoff. They're out of the Big 12 championship, but I like TCU in this game uh, just because they are a team of destiny. But the matchup I really want to see is defensive coordinator for Texas, Gary Patterson, facing his former team and the run game of Bajon Robinson see if Texas can get that defense on their heels. But who do you have in this game?
0: Very interesting take on that, Richard. So in this game, I would have to take a look at this and I'm taking a look at this through perspective of this TCU Horned Frog team. Man, they're the top four team in the country. Who saw this coming? 9 all record on the season. In their last game, Richard, the Horn Frogs took on the Texas Tech Red Raiders and walked away with a win by a score of 34-24. Max Dugan finished the game with 12 of 23 passing for 195 yards through the air and two touchdowns a QBR rating of 152.1 and he ended the contest. Yes, he did, without throwing a pick. Now Kendry Miller led the offense rushing for the Horn Frogs. 21 carries for 158 yards, 7.5 yards on the ground. When you have a back that's dynamic like Kendry Miller getting between a tackle box and really creating a scenario where he's getting seven and a half yards of rush. Now, the TCU Horn Frog team ran the ball 51 different times, so they were really controlling the game on the ground for 234 yards, 4.6 yards on the ground. Now, in regards to their defense, the TCU team relinquished 16 pass completions for 32 attempts. So that is really interesting, 50% of their completion that they allowed. But let's talk about this Texas Longhorn team. They head into this game with a six and three record of the year, Richard. What they last played against was the Kansas State Wildcats. And they were victorious with a score of 34-27. Quinn Ewers quarterback had two touchdowns in the game, 197 yards on 18 of 31 passing, while his QBR rating was 132.7. He also did not throw an interception in this game. For John Robinson, man, is one of the most dynamic runners in the college football land. 30 attempts for 209 yards, another back over seven yards of carry. Dynamic for this Texas Longhorn team. They finished a 466-yard total offense, and they surrendered 24-36 through the air for 329 yards. But in the Battle of Texas, I will be taking my all teammates' team, Chris
2: Gaynor's TCU Horn Frogs. A great pick. And just a reminder that TCU has to play Baylor next week. So they're not out of the woods yet. But I think if they run the table, win the Big 12, they are going to get into the college football playoff. Now let's talk about two teams from the American Conference that are both ranked. And it is a big game down in New Orleans as UCF is taking on Tulane. Tulane's been the surprise team in the American. This game does have implications for the American Conference. I believe that Gus Malzahn is going to figure it out. I'm really impressed with former Troop County Tiger Kobe Hudson as he has made an impact for the UCF Golden Knights. But Tulane, I'm telling you, you can never count out the Tulane Green Wave. I think that the home field advantage is going to play a factor because this is the biggest game that Tulane University has had in New Orleans since, well, since pre-Katrina. I mean, I'll be honest with you, Corey. I have not seen Tulane this relevant since the last time I was down in New Orleans and I was miles away from the campus of Tulane University. I think that the green wave continue rolling and they get the victory over the Golden Knights.
0: Very interesting take on that one, Richard. So the UCF Knights come into this matchup with a record of 7-2 on the year in the last contest, the Knights played against the Memphis Tigers and walked away victorious. with a 35- 28 win. Mikey Keene went 22 of 28 passing with 219 yards and three touchdowns. He had a quarterback rating of 172 and a half and walked away from the contest with one interception Richard. RJ Harvey was the leader on the ground for the Knights. 17 carries for an astounding 151 on the ground. Yes, he is a ball carrier who drags defenders and gets all the yards that you're looking for. 8.9 yards per attempt. Very impressive. So this UCF Knights team ended up rushing the Russian football 42 different times in the game, 204 on the ground. An astounding 4.9 yards per attempt. But they had 427 yards throughout the entire game. And they allowed two-thirds of their passes for completions. But the thing is, is that they have the two lane greenways. The greenway come into this contest, Richard, with a record of an amazing 8-1. Who saw this coming? It's very true. They haven't been more relevant since Katrina. It's incredible. So, when they last stepped on the field, Richard, the Green Wave walked away with a victory of a final score of 27-13. When they played the Tulsa Golden Hurricane, Michael Pratt had two touchdowns. He finished the game with 125 yards on an 11 of 19 through the air, while his quarterback rating was 137.4. He did throw an interception in the game, Richard. Now, J Spears ran the football very efficiently for this two-lane team. He had 14 carries for 157 yards. Yes, the guy averaged a first down every time he ran with the football. 11.2 yards per game. Definitely the X factor last week's game. And he's going to be a decision maker and how things are going to go well. So this two-lane team needs to open running lanes for him. In order to be successful, now the Green Wave pass defense allowed a completion rate of 52%. So 13-25 for 146. But in this game, in the Battle of the Gridiron, I will have to take the UCF Knights. And yes, Richard, I used to live right by the stadium. All
2: right, now let's talk about Florida State and Syracuse. uh, Two teams that were off to hot starts in the year, the beginning of the year. And they've sizzled off. I know that Florida State did get the, they did get the big win against the Miami Hurricanes last weekend. Uh, Syracuse has lost some disappointing games to Notre Dame and Clemson. And this is a very important game for both teams based on the type of bowl that they are going to attend. I think that that home field advantage for the Syracuse Orangemen is going to play a factor, and I think that Syracuse wins this game. I know that the Syracuse is your college team from. Uh, Upstate of New York, uh, who you got in this game, Corey?
0: So, that's a very interesting take in this game. So, the Florida State Seminoles head into this matchup 6-3 and three on the season. In their last matchup, they played against a state rival, the Miami Hurricanes. And they took the win by a score of a compelling 45-3. to Jordan Travis finished the game with 10 of 12 passing, with 202 yards through the air and three touchdowns. He had a quarterback rating of something I have never, I've almost never seen before, 290.6. I can't believe that. That is unbelievable. He did throw a pick in the game, but Trey Benson was a rushing leader for the Seminoles. 15 carries for 128 yards, 8.5 yards per carry. The Florida State Seminoles ended up rushing 49 times and accumulated 229 yards on the ground. When the final whistle blew, they ran 65 plays, 454 yards, and their defense did an excellent job, only allowing 62 passing yards all game. That is unbelievable pass defense or a ball-hawking secondary. So that's where it took place. Now the Orange men in this game were 6-3 on the season. When they last stepped on the field, the Orange walked away with a loss by a score of 19-9. When they played against the Pittsburgh Panthers, Sean Tucker carried the rock 10 times for 19 yards. Very tough going for the Orange men on the day of getting the ovens aligned over the holes for Mr. Tucker. Carlos Del Rio Wilson ended the game with 8 of 23 passing for 120 yards. Tough day for the Orange men. But all in all, they did surrender 66.7% to the air. So the Orange men are going to have to come back in this football game, Richard. And I, in this football game... I'm going to have to take the upset on this one, the Orangemen. I think they're going to step up, and I think they're also going to beat
1: the Florida State Seminoles.
2: Great pick. Now let's move on to the NFL. We do have a Thursday night game tonight in Charlotte. The Atlanta Falcons taking on the Carolina Panthers. The Falcons played the Panthers in a game they were supposed to lose a couple of weeks ago, playing on a short week. If the Atlanta Falcons win this game, they will be in first place in the NFC South. I'm taking the Falcons in this game because they are the better team. They've been in every single game this year. And the Carolina Panthers still don't know about their quarterback situation. P.J. Walker was benched. They actually had Baker Mayfield. We don't know who's going to get the start. They still have an interim coach. But the Carolina Panthers are playing at home. It is a Thursday night game. It should be a good game. And, And finally we get a competitive Thursday night game. So who do you have?
0: Interesting pick, Richard. So the LA Falcons come into this game with a record of four and five in the year. When they last stepped on the gridiron, the Falcons played the Chargers. They end up losing 20-17. to 17. But here's the thing. They have a running back who stopped between the tackles, and he showed every bit of it, and that's Tyler Alagiri. He led the offense in rushing. 10 carries for 99 yards. Yes, and the NFL, Richard, 9.9 yards per attempt. And then you have your dynamic, tight end, hybrid receiver, Kyle Pitts. Averaging 13.5 yards per catch in the last week's game. And you're led by quarterback Marcus Mariota. Connecting of 20, no 12, of 23 for 100 29 yards passing he had a quarterback rating 68.9 and he finished the contest with a good game management ability of no interceptions on the ground the Falcons conceded 91 yards on 24 attempts 3.8 yards per rush but the Atlanta Falcons ended up rushing 35 different times for 201 yards and 5.7 yards per rush getting It done in the ground, opening up running lanes for all their backs in the trenches. Now, the Panthers head into this matchup with a 2-7 record. The last time they stepped onto the football field, the Panthers took a loss by a final score of 42-21 when they faced the Bengals. Baker Mayfield had two touchdowns. He finished 14-20 for 155 yards through the air, but he didn't throw any picks on the ground. Dante Foreman had seven carries for 23 yards. Tough day on the ground for him, especially when he's a back that can get up between the tackles, blow wide open with his runs, can drag ball carriers. Man, he's a talented back, but he had a tough day in that regard. But in this game, in the battle of the NFC South, I'm going to take the Atlanta Falcons.
2: The Minnesota Vikings are taking on the Buffalo Bills. It could be a Super Bowl preview, although the Minnesota Vikings are the second-best team in the NFC record-wise. I still think they haven't played anybody. I think that Kirk Cousins does shrink in big games. They do have a very good team, and I think that the surprise of Zadarius Smith coming over from Green Bay, he's been a great pass rusher for the Vikings. But this is a game at home for Buffalo. Buffalo. Even though it's going to be a very exciting game, I think the Buffalo Bills get the win. They bounce back from losing to the Jets last week because they know that they got to continue to win because not only they got to try to win the East, they got to compete with Kansas City because they have the tiebreaker for home field advantage. Meanwhile, I don't think the Vikings are as good as their record indicates, but I still think it's going to be a close game and I think that Buffalo ends up with this one.
0: Very interesting take, Richard. So the Minnesota Vikings step onto the field, holding a 7-1-1 record. They played a lot of tight games this year. I really don't think that they are what they reflect on their record. They did beat last week the Commanders with a score of 20-17 to in that regard. Kirk Cousins went 22-40, 265 yards passing, and two touchdowns. He had a quarterback rating of 81.8. And he finished the contest with one interception, but one of the best receivers in the game. He's going to be lined up as the X wide receiver in this game this week. And the Y, your dynamic receiver out of LSU, Justin Jefferson. Averaging 16.4 yards per catch last week. Seven catches for 115 yards. He's someone you're going to be looking for on your fantasy team this week. Now, Dalvin Cook was the best rusher on the Vikings he had 17 carries for 47 yards. He was bottled up last week, 2.8 yards per carry. So it is going to make a difference. They got Adam Thielen, who is a really good slot-wide receiver in that regard. And I got to tell you, their defense is one of the better ones in the NFL. Great pass rush and dynamic through the tackles, through the linebackers going sideline to sideline, huge. But here's the thing. You got the Buffalo Bills, and they are led by – Josh Allen. Josh Allen, one of the most dynamic quarterbacks in the game. can get inside and outside the tackle box. He did struggle against New York Jets last week. But the Buffalo Bills have an excellent ground attack in that regard with Singletary. Also, at the same time, you do have a great running quarterback in Josh Allen. And he did show that against the Jets. He had nine rushes for 86 yards. And let's not forget about the most dynamic receiver on the team, they got Stefan Diggs. Stefan Diggs has five catches for 93 yards. Going to be a playmaker in the game, and you can't forget about Gabe Davis. Really great players for this team, and the Buffalo Bills have suffocating defense. I do believe Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills are going to bounce back after a devastating loss to the New York Jets.
2: One of the most disappointing teams in the NFL this year is the Green Bay Packers. They are hosting the Dallas Cowboys in Lambeau, and this is an absolute mismatch. Normally, the Cowboys-Packers game is the must-see game of the day. I highly doubt that Green Bay is going to be competitive in this game because the Dallas Cowboys do have the best defense in all of football. That is a bad matchup for Aaron Rodgers, especially if David Bakhtiari is still out as the left tackle. And the Packers just don't have any dynamic wide receivers. Losing Devontae Adams to the Raiders really hurt Aaron Rodgers. And I think that the Cowboys not only cover, but they blow out the Packers in Lambeau.
0: Very bold prediction, Richard. Yes, those Dallas Cowboys heading this matchup, with a 6-2 and record in the season. And the last time they played on the gridiron, they played against the Bears. And they won by a score of 49-29. Rushing leader for them in that game was Tony Pollard. Excellent running back, 14 carries for 131 yards. Another guy who averaged 9 yards per clip. Getting in between the tackles and being dynamic and making the jump cuts getting to the outside of the secondary. Dak Prescott went twenty-one and twenty-seven for two hundred and fifty yards through the air and two touchdowns. One hundred fourteen point five QBR rating. Very decent. His leading target, C D Lamb, fifteen point four yards per reception. Really dynamic in that regard in the game. The Dallas Cowboys defense is suffocating. They got Van Der Esch. They got Micah Parsons. They got Demarcus Lawrence. They are incredible. And let's not forget about the other Diggs brother, Trayvon Diggs. This team is one of the best defenses in the game. They're going to get in your face. They're very tough in between tackles. They're going to get the penetration needed up front. It's going to be tough all day for Aaron Rodgers and his struggling Packers, who are three and six on the year, Richard. And Rodgers struggling, not having a year that he's looking for. They did lose 15 and 9 against their division foe, the Detroit Lions. Rogers won twenty-three of forty-three for two hundred and ninety-one yards. His leading receiver in the game is Alan Lazard. He's gonna have to step up with Devontae Adams being gone. Alan Lazard was last year, what, your number three receiver? He's their number one now. He caught four balls last game for eighty-seven yards. In in this game, between these two NFC teams, the Cowboys' defense is going to get too much pressure on Aaron Rodgers. He's going to be in their faces all day. It's going to be tough. I take the Cowboys in the game, Richard.
2: All right, and finally, the Sunday night game, the San Francisco 49ers taking on the Los Angeles Chargers. You have a 49ers team that's starting to get healthy, fresh off their bye. And what Christian McCaffrey did against the Rams, he was a one-man show I expect the 49ers, even though they're taking on an elite quarterback, Justin Herbert, he showed that why he is one of the elite quarterbacks. And I think that the Chargers should get Keenan Allen back. It's going to be a fun and exciting matchup. But the 49ers defense knows if they get pressure on Herbert, I think that they could win this game because it is a primetime game. They are playing at home, but you got to worry about Austin Eckler. I think that the 49ers are starting to peak and they're starting to get on the right track, especially since they are trailing the Seattle Seahawks in the division. And who knows what's going to happen in uh, Germany when the Seahawks have to take on the Buccaneers at 9.30 in the morning. But the 49ers know this is a must-win game. And I expect the 49ers to come out on top because they are well-rested and they're getting most of their players back.
0: Very interesting point, Richard. So, the Los Angeles Chargers in this game, Richard, head into this game with a 5-3 record of the season. Their last game, the Chargers faced the Falcons, and they earned the victory with a final score of 20-17. Justin Herbert went 30-43 of 43 with 245 yards to the air and one touchdown. He had a QBR rating of 82. He did throw a pick in the game. But you can't forget about Austin Eckler, one of the most dynamic running backs in football. He did have a tough week last week. Man, he's like a pinball, very hard to tackle. And when he gets out to the second level, very hard to bring down because he's very shifty in both the screen game and the running game in that regard. The leading receiver for the Chargers last week was Josh Palmer. He had an average of 13.3 yards per catch, accumulating 106 yards on eight catches. The Los Angeles Chargers ran the football 24 times all day, so they had to be creative here with how they were to get those runs. And that was really the key to what was going on with the Chargers and their victory last week. But now on the other side of the fence, you got the 49ers. The 49ers are dynamic, and ever since they got the pickup, like you said, Richard, of Christian McCaffrey, he is your Swiss Army knife. You can get him out in space on a screen. You can line him up as a slot wide receiver. He runs slant patterns over the middle of the field. You can run him between tackles. Christian McCaffrey is everything that you're looking for when healthy for your 49ers. He carried the football for 18 times for 94 yards. And that is truly a dynamic rushing average in that regard, 5.2 yards per attempt. And IUK was featured in the past game for the 49ers, catching six balls for 81 yards, 13.5 yards per reception. Jimmy Garoppolo had two touchdowns, ending the game with 235 yards on 21-35 through the air, a QBR rating of 132.5. The 49ers' defense is incredible. They have a great pass rusher, Bosa, and he is one of the top five pass rushers in the game right now. Dynamic sack abilities, getting inside with his rip moves and his whip moves. Excellent speed he has. So you also have Debo Samuel, who is one of your other Swiss Army Knives. You can put him in the backfield, get him the ball up the middle, and he can be a dynamic pass catcher. So in this game, Richard, I'm going to have to take your San Francisco 49ers in the battle of the California teams.
2: Oh, I love that pick. And it's also a rematch of the last time the 49ers won the Super Bowl when they used to be the San Diego Chargers. That still feels weird. I'm just not used to the Los Angeles Chargers. But, yes, uh, two teams from California, and it should be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to that Sunday night game. And, Corey, as always, I look forward to having you on for the Daily Dash. I know we were on a little bit longer today because we had to make our college football and NFL picks. And uh, we had a good reason because we had a fun time at Ivy Park for the 500th episode. And I got to tell you, that was a blast.
0: It truly was a blast, Fisher. And thank you for having me on. Always a pleasure.
2: Absolutely. That was my broadcast partner and co-host Corey Bank. We're going to be right back with Gabe Reynolds. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with Gabe. Welcome back to the show. I've got on the show, Gabe Reynolds and Gabe. I know you're a big Alabama fan. I know that had to have been heartbreaking to lose that way with Brian Kelly, with a gutsy call going for two. And this is the first time I remember Alabama This early in the season with two losses since 2010,
1: um, first off, thanks for having me back on the show. Uh, always a pleasure. Um, man, I I will say this this is why I love college football, this is why college football is greater than the NFL, in my opinion. It's because weekend to weekend, you never know what's gonna happen. The parody in college football. This, this year is amazing. Tennessee back in the top five. You always got Ohio State. Alabama with two lows. Brian Kelly got the marbles that Pedro Serrano was saying in He got those marbles right there. That took a lot of guts to make that call on that two point conversion. Boy, I tell you, that was the greatest weekend of college football. I have witnessed in a few years. So, hey, the college football playoffs, we don't need to expand the 12 teams. We don't need to go to 64. We just need to leave it right there at that four because it eliminates everybody on every single day. When they came out, they were like Tennessee, Georgia, Alabama, uh, uh, Clemson. Then you had Ohio State, Michigan. No, we don't need to go to 12. We don't need a two-loss SEC team. We need to leave it right there at that four. That's what we want right there.
2: Gabe, I absolutely agree with you. I think that the landscape of college football right now, I love the landscape of college football. I believe that, you know, Texas is going to beat TCU next week. You're going to have a one-loss team from Ohio State and Michigan. I know you're looking at me like, uh, hey, I mean, I think, that a lot of teams, especially Alabama with two losses, LSU with two losses, they're rooting for Texas to beat TSU, uh, TCU to knock them out of the college football playoff consideration. Eh, I, so,
1: based on so so here's here's what me and some of my friends were talking about yesterday, and, and it's like this: Oregon benefits from Georgia still winning because of that loss at the at the beginning of the season. Since that blowout loss, Oregon has played the best football as the one-loss team. So you got to put Oregon in there to be the Pac-12 representative. And that's if they defeat USC or UCLA. The Tennessee beating um, Alabama, and now Alabama losing to LSU, that hurt Tennessee, resume-wise, because you needed – You needed Alabama to keep winning. You needed Alabama to run the table and go all the way to the SEC championship and then beat Georgia. That would have helped Tennessee's case as a one-loss SEC team because you would have had three. But with Alabama losing, with uh, Florida State beating LSU, that now makes Florida State's win against LSU that much more bigger In the ACC, Clemson, ACC is weak. The Big 12 is weak. The Pac-12 is weak. It's going to come down. You're going to get this year, mark my word, depending on what happens between Michigan and Ohio State, you may get two Big Ten teams in the the college football playoffs. Because if Michigan beats Ohio State and then goes on and wins, the Big Ten Championship. How do you not put Ohio State back in the playoffs? You may get. It may just be a two-team, a, a two-conference. Uh, be it. You may get Georgia and Tennessee, and Ohio State and Michigan. It may just come down to that, because I don't see LSU beating Georgia in the in the SEC Championship. I can't even really say that I expect Alabama to beat Ole Miss because they got to play Ole Miss at Ole Miss. So you don't know. You don't know. But TCU, I don't think TCU is going to lose to Texas. I think Texas is going to make that game closer than what everybody thinks. But I expect TCU to beat Texas by a field goal.
2: Uh, very interesting pick, Gabe. Um, I actually think it's going to be exciting, but you as an Alabama fan, I want to talk about the state of Alabama because I actually got on the Paul Feinbaum show and Paul Feinbaum is just ready to write off Alabama saying the dynasty's over. No, I don't think the dynasty's over. I think in the landscape of college football, Nick Saban can get Alabama back to competing for a national championship. I just think the dominance of, from the early 2010s is over. I don't think you're going to see Alabama rattle off two, three straight national championships. Look at what Nick Saban has lost as a coaching staff, as players go into the NFL. It is hard. But what Nick Saban has done, I mean, everybody that wants to write off Alabama is automatically saying, just because they have two losses early in this season, that the dynasty's over. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think the
1: dynasty is over. I do think that NIL has leveled the playing field across the board. I think with name, image, and likeness, and now these these kids, these uh college athletes are able to go out and make money for the schools that they're playing for. Certain schools can give that can give that uh student athlete more NIL money. Georgia's got Delta Airlines in their back pocket. So if you're going to Georgia, you're going to get money from Delta Airlines plus Atlanta's right there. So you're going to get a lot of money from it from the boosters and the donors right there in the Atlanta area. You don't have that in Alabama. You got what Montgomery? You got everybody that was a that's an Alabama uh fan, I mean an Alabama alum, that's it. You got Birmingham. But you go to Texas. You got all the oil money in Texas. That's why AM of Texas are in an arms race right now. Tennessee, you got a lot of big time donors right here in Tennessee. You got the half They they own the Cleveland Browns. They own a lot of they own the pilots and the uh, travel uh stops along the highway. So saving is he's gonna get there, he's gonna navigate the NIL, but Here's what Saban's got to get. He's got to get coaches that are going to stay longer because the relationship with the recruits goes back to the coaches. And Saban is losing a coordinator, a a D coordinator, an O coordinator, a a position coach. He's losing that every year. Bill O'Brien, he's got to go because you're not going to get a a wide receiver that's going to want to come and play for Bill O'Brien. Frank Wright is now, I mean, you called it yesterday. I would love to have Frank Wright as the OC at Alabama just so we can get rid of Bill O'Brien. We need a defensive coordinator. Saban hasn't had a good defensive coordinator since Kirby left. You had Lane You Look at Brian Dable. Brian Dable was the OC, and now he's the head coach of the the New York Giants. Mike Locksley, he's the head coach at Maryland. So all of his coordinators have gone off to do good things, and they've gone to become head coaches. But the style of play with Bill O'Brien has gone back to the early saving days. The only – they don't – none of the teams fear Alabama's receivers this year. The only person that's a game-breaker is Jameer Gibbs, and Gibbs can't do everything. They went in the portal and got the receiver from Georgia last year, who was the number three receiver at Georgia to be the number one receiver at Alabama, and he hasn't done anything. So that's why Saban is saying, "Hey, we gotta put guidelines on the NIL first. Once you put the guidelines on the NIL, and and then uh, that'll that'll create the parity across the board, and then from there you get the coordinators that can come in and that'll stick around a little bit and provide continuity, and then." you'll see Alabama trekking back up. You've been listening to The Sports Beat with Richard Holdry. We invite you to download and subscribe. You can find us on Anchor, Spotify, Google Cast, Stitcher, iTunes, or wherever fine podcasts are found. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share with your friends and family. This has been The Sports Beat with your host, Richard Holdry.